Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. Hello, Jamba. 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 Hello, So welcome to Ivy and to our um, next one. We just looked at uh, an idea of being financially blessed as we carry on our series about hashtag blessed. And if you were here last week, you may recall that as we continue this series from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us right here that there are two possible banks, two treasuries, uh, here on earth or in heaven. And what we focus on reveals our heart, what we think about all the time, two banks. And today, he goes on to say, we're going to serve one of two bosses. Right now, we are serving, everybody's serving one or the other. And though we may think we make financial decisions rationally, the truth is our relationship to money is more often a matter of feelings. That comes out in the way we spend it and save it and think about it and are fearful of it or whatever. The Lord says, clearly, you cannot here serve both bosses because you will be emotionally attached to the one that you love and serve. It's to do with devotion. Do we love God? Money tests that, not just in terms of what I give or not, but what I spend and serve, my actions and attitude regarding giving and tithing and debt and what I'm ultimately working for in life. It is a worship issue. It's about devotion on our discipleship pathway. What am I devoted to? Now look closely here with me. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Strong language, cannot. Devoted, despise. Notice, he didn't say that you shouldn't or mustn't have two masters. He says, you can't. Nobody can. It's about devotion, and that leads to decisions and destinies. He doesn't say, I can't have God and money. He never says it's wrong to be rich, just hard. He said it's harder to be devoted to God. The more I have, the less I feel I need him. It would be like a rich man would be like that camel going through the eye of a needle. But it's impossible, but it's harder. And whatever I might think in terms of how much I've got and whether I see myself as a have or have not, however, he says, I can't serve two bosses. Now, we make the choice every day, every decision. Who's first? If I do what I please and call it my money and live to please myself, I'm pleasing mammon. If I live to please God, he decides what I do and what I pursue and focus on in life. Two bosses. If you've ever tried to work for two bosses, you know the problem is often when they have completely different values and vision, priorities and appraisals. So, the question is, who am I going to serve in life? Is it mammon, everything money can buy, but I can never keep? Or is it God, everything money can't buy that I can never lose? Both bosses want to rule our lives. Both are spiritual forces with opposite character and influences. Mammon wants to rule you and me. So it literally is God or mammon that we're going to live for, deciding what we can and what we can't do. 
what we will or what we won't do. And Jesus says clearly again, I can't serve both. You can't serve both. They are opposite spirits. Many times we, we try to straddle the two, but in the end we discover we are going to do what one says and the other says something diametrically opposed. It's not both and, it's either or. So, who are you living for? Who are you making a living for? Who decides whether or not you'll do something or won't? Go somewhere or don't? Give it, keep it, spend it or save it? Jesus said many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, but do we do what he says? Now, some of you might want to switch off already, which is actually a really good indicator of who your master is. If you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, make no mistake, there is a great spiritual power at work, a war raging, not just over the world economies and nations and corporations influenced by this spiritual power Jesus calls and names as mammon right now, but mammon wants to rule over your life and mine. This same demonic spiritual force of wickedness. That these translations, some translations call it money, but the word Jesus used there in mammon is the Babylonian, Syriac and Canaanite money god. Now it's the system of this world influenced even today by the same idol god, the Egyptians called Horus, the Greeks called Plutus, the Romans Pluto. Well, let's not imagine mammon is not worshipped still today when we are governed by the markets and what pleases them, with no regard for the true god or his word. So if you're not comfortable with the word mammon, how about materialism instead? Same thing. It's not just money. Money is a commodity of exchange that can be used for good or evil, but mammon is materialism. And it tells you, this is all that matters. This life, it's a false rival God. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Canaanites all believed that we're in charge of our own money and must appease the gods somehow so they'll give us more wealth and make us fertile and all those kind of things. Only the Israelites believed God was Lord of it all and generously gives just because he's generous. So we're not owners ourselves, but stewards for him who will be, we will be held accountable to him. Our culture and mindset belong to the teaching and philosophy of the ancient world shaped by mammon, not the God of the Bible. We see the results of that being worked out everywhere, more and more, every day, every time we think or say mine, my money, my belongings. So can we talk about money? Talk about mammon, everybody else is. After all, God says it all came from him and it will all go back to him in the end. And there's no doubt we'll all part with all of our money. The only question is when. Eventually we'll have no choice, but we do now. Remember I talked about it last time, two banks. Now over the years I've heard people complain, oh here we go again, church always talking about money and they give themselves a reason to switch off or check out mentally. But what if God doesn't want something from us, but he wants something for us today. What if we just trust him, that he's good, and that he really does know and want the best for us? And the way that happens is, it's time to wake up and expose and break the power of mammon. Because if we just broke off that slavery in our lives, we would live so much more freely, free from the love of money, free from concern, the fear that wants to keep us enslaved in its power, so, you know, we never really get to fully live the life that God has got for us because we're held back by fear over money. To do that, we have to talk about it. 
Now, money is certainly not all we ever talk about here. We give opportunities, we share about ministries, but you can check the back catalogue on the website to see that we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about what the Bible talks about. We talk about what God's Word says and about what Jesus talks about. And guess what in Scripture? When you read it, you're going to see he talks about this subject way more than we do. Here, in the book of Matthew, the Lord talks about money 109 times. In Mark... He talks about it 57 times. In Luke, it's 94 times. In the book of John, he talks about money 88 times, money and possessions. It's been calculated that, in fact, the Lord talks about money five times more than any other subject in the Bible. It's certainly a major theme for discipleship. And as the world continues to present its views on money all the time, maybe God knows it's good that we get his perspective and some teaching on how he says we should handle what he gives us. Now is a great time to do so as we're heading into a hard winter and Christmas, which is always something of a challenge, naming those two banks, those two treasuries helps us remember in our saving and spending, giving and receiving that there are two masters, two bosses who both want ownership, not only of what we own, but of who we are. Because the things we say we possess have great spiritual power to possess us. Material things make idols with the ability to possess us, to rule us. Right from the start when Eve went to the Apple store and what she saw there, it says she liked the look of it. She thought it was good and pleasing to her eye and she wanted it and it wanted her. So what could be the harm? And soon she and Adam found out because they were willing to lose everything to have it and they did. Let's not imagine we don't need God's help and God's power and, and his Holy Spirit to open his word to us and give us revelation and lead us to open our eyes so we don't fall the same way. Who do we serve? I remember when I first used to read this, I really didn't get it because I knew some people who had more than one job. So they had more than one employer. So how can Jesus say it's impossible to serve two masters? But when I look at the times in which he lived, not just mine, I realise the word here, douleo, is the word for bond slave. Not uh, employee with all these different kinds of rights. And he's not an employer either. This word literally means owner. He's saying you can't be slave to two masters. You can't be servant of two masters. Which means, I'm, yes, I'm free to do my nine to five here, then work a few extra hours somewhere else in the weekend. But it doesn't work like that with God. The Roman Empire was built on slavery and every slave had a single owner to whom you rendered full-time service. You belonged to them. To serve as a bond slave meant full devotion and obedience to one master. You could not have two. Reminds me of that song, that mank band, Bitter Sweet Symphony of Life. You're going to be a slave to the money, then you die. That's what it says. Well, it has no way to live. The Romans would know exactly what Paul meant when he wrote to them in Romans 6, when he said, Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about the benefits. I'd rather be a slave of God than my own boss or, or that of anybody or anything else. 
He's the master who doesn't pay me the wages I deserve, which is death. He gives me the gift of life and everything I need for it. When I have God as my boss, as my master, I'm no longer a slave to fear, as we love to sing. But I can't be the slave of God and sin. We can't serve both God and mammon because both demand total allegiance. So it's like, I only have one wife. I'm, if I'm going to be faithful, that's my choice every day since we got married. When I said forsaking all others, it's an exclusive relationship and that's what God wants. And every day now, I have choices. If I say God is Lord and boss and master, that he is the only one on the throne, not my money, then his spirit prompts me and invites me, puts a demand on me, maybe to drop some hours or days or to serve or to, to give to sponsor a child. But the book of James says a double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. So if you try and make a decision based on what money says, you'll either hate one or the other. Great diagnostic question for who our real boss is, is this. What would I do for money that I wouldn't do for God? That helps really locate where my treasure is, where my heart is and who my master is. Another test is that God wants me to love people and use things, but mammon wants me to love things and use people. It commoditizes and compares everybody. It reduces us all to consumers. So maybe I've been looking at the world situation right now, we all have, and across every culture and ethnicity, can we see that behind it, everything mammon tells me by the media and every outlet is spend it, borrow it, get it, hoard it. And while it's wise to back away from debt and sensible to save, as things get tight. We should do that, but at the same time, to be possessive, to be wanting, to be worrying, and always looking for more, more, more ways to look after myself better is living for mammon. Materialism wants me selfishly guarding or only spending on what, what, what makes me, what, make, what makes my heart happy, rather than investing or even asking what's on God's heart. Is there anything to help the poor that I'm doing or advancing the gospel and the, the kingdom and the church that he wants me to do? See, I've listened to that other voice that says, look after number one, pile it up for yourself. And even as Christmas approaches, the time when we remember that Christ left all the riches of heaven behind and was born in the humblest of circumstances to live and die to make us his treasure. Figures I just read from the Bank of England say the average spend in December is 30% more than any other month of the year. Spending on entertainment equipment doubles. Alcohol sales go up nearly 40%. And the amount we spend in these ways goes up every single year, even though most people surveyed say they intend to spend less this Christmas. The projected average per household spent for the festivities is £1,130. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate Christmas and people say we want to make it special, that's why. Guess what, though? It is special. It's most special and more special when it's more about Jesus. That's the way to make Christmas more special. Make it more about Jesus. Put Christ there at the centre of it. That's why we've said for years here at Ivy, around this time of year, rein it in at Christmas and give it in, in the new year. We have a first fruits offering and, you know, over and above, is, it's an opportunity at Ivy and people, the people who generously and imaginatively every year, those who give well into first fruits, January offering in faith, happily, under no obligation, are the people who see themselves as stewards, not just consumers. We try to remind ourselves 
I don't need a bigger one of those. I don't, we don't need a newer one of that. You don't need to give in to the pressure to overspend or to buy the premium brand and the presents and the food. All has to be the very best. It's not about what's on the table, but who's around it that makes Christmas special. We know this can add up to so many financial problems this season. And right now, 30% of Britons put Christmas on credit cards or Klarna or very kind of buy now, pay later schemes, many of which charge exorbitant prices and seem very friendly and nice until you struggle to pay them back. A survey last year found the average person in the UK gets into £439 of debt over Christmas and it takes them on average at least four months to get their finances back into shape after the festive season, if they do. How much more important is this warning going to be this year? And I'm not saying that in any way to put us in fear, but to remind us. See, Jesus goes on to say if we know him and if we trust God, we've got no need to be anxious. We just need to trust that our Father will always meet our needs for the things that we need to eat and the clothes that we need to wear and everything else. But that's the tension we hold. When times feel hard, even though you're hearing God's word and he's saying, remember, I care, I know, I will provide, just trust me and be generous now. I'm, I'm giving to you so you'll be able to go there and do that and bless him and her and give this. We can start to resent that because mammon wants our allegiance and that means we reject God's claim on my money and my life. Though, of course, I won't admit that because I'll always find a way to rationalise it. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones told the story of a farmer who ran into the house one day to tell his wife and family some happy news. He said, you know how last year was so tough and we cried out for God to help and provide for us this year? Well, he's done it. It's a miracle. The cow just gave birth to twin calves, one brown and one white. I think we've got to dedicate one of those calves to the Lord. We're going to bring both of them up together and when the time comes to sell them, we'll sell one cow and keep the proceeds and then we'll also sell the other and we'll give the money to the Lord's work. And his wife said, well, okay, which one are you going to dedicate to the Lord? Will it be the brown one or will it be the white one? Oh, he says, no need to bother about that now. What we do is we treat them both just the same. When the time comes and they're both fully grown, that's when we'll do it. Now, a few weeks later, however, he walked into the kitchen. The farmer looked very sad. What's happened? She said, hmm. Bad news, he replied. The Lord's calf is dead. Isn't it funny how it's always the Lord's cow that dies? That's another test where I find out which master I'm really serving. Who is my boss? You can't be in church circles too long without hearing the phrase living by faith. It's used a little less these days. Maybe, I suppose, I don't hear it as much, but the idea is, Somebody goes off maybe to work full-time for some mission or ministry. There's no salary attached, but they're just going to pray and depend on God to provide and perhaps invite other people to support them. Now, we hear that, and it seems like a huge faith decision, but you know what? Everyone lives by faith in something or in someone. People are living by faith in themselves, in their boss, in the government to provide and look after us. Mammon is behind all that, inviting you to pay allegiance and put your faith there. So living by faith in God doesn't mean I have to give up my job and depend on others to provide. It means my job is to depend on God, to make him my boss. Whatever else I do, 
and whether or not I get paid for it in this life. So, God is saying, will you live by faith in me? Will you walk by faith or sight? The one who calls you to be humble says, come and follow me. The one who calls you to be proud and set your affections on the things of the earth says something different. He wants us to live not for the things that are seen, unseen, but the things that are seen. And Paul wrote, the problem with that is we should never put our hope or our trust in riches because they're so uncertain. Surely this year's headlines and recent history should wake us up to this fact. Mammon will pull you in and promise you the earth and all the benefits of the earth if you will work for him. And then he'll sack you and tell you that you owe him everything and he's suing you the next minute. Which boss will we work for? Who are we going to be devoted to? And the more I've read the Bible and listened to my Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, and recognised eternal realities, every day from now on I realise I'm closer to the treasure stored up for me in the bank where moth and rust will never destroy. And the more I've listened to and obeyed that other boss or one who wants to be Master Mammon, every heartbeat draws me further and further away from the trivial I've worked for. Fool's gold I was deluded to believe would ever satisfy me or I could ever hold on to. So then, how do I use money with God as my boss without making mammon my master? Well, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus gave us the same warning as he does here. But before that, he told us how we can use money rather than being used by it. And he said this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. That's true, isn't it? So, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That's the things that matter to God. And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And again, the word there is actually mammon. Jesus doesn't tell us to take a vow of poverty or to avoid money completely, but rather to use it wisely, strategically and generously. He says there's a way for us to use money that we get in this world to gain friends for ourselves. Hospitality, opening up our homes, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The Bible says God gives us all things richly for our enjoyment. He's kind and good. He loves to provide and bless us. He's a far better master than mammon. He absolutely is not against me having money or using money in this life. He's not against anybody even being rich. But he also says you've got to be rich in good deeds, rich towards God or else you're a fool. The way we do that, he says, is use it to do what? And as I try to understand Christ's words here in Luke, He's also saying, you know, this life is just a preparation for the life ahead. Make sure you use it for me and for what matters to me. And you can only use it now before your period of serving me here ends. And then there'll be no second chance. It'll be too late. None of us know how much time we've got to use. But Jesus says we can use money now in ways to win friends and influence people for him, to welcome them into our home so that one day we'll be welcomed into, into theirs. As we welcome people in our life and show the love of Jesus to them, one day you're going to walk around heaven and there's going to be people shouting out when you get on the streets, hey, hey, I'm here because of you. 
We, my whole family, we're here because you gave. You turned that money, that time, those possessions that will never last into something that lasts forever. And that's why we're here. And, you know, I have to wonder, as I think about that story, how many people will be at my welcoming party? Who's going to grab you by the hand and pull you into a heavenly home and into a celebration that lasts as long as you want until you want to leave? Because you can just thank God there. And, and they're thanking you as they take you into their eternal dwellings. You'll never, ever regret anything that you put into that eternal bank. If you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. If you do these things. We've got to do something about it. I'll never forget R.T. Kendall telling a small group of us how a businessman that he knew who'd faithfully tithed to his church and then given a great deal over and above that, way more, generously over many years, suddenly he saw his business go under. And his friends and family, those who weren't believers, gathered around him and they said, well, bet you feel foolish now. You gave away so much and lost all that money that you gave away. And he replied, no, 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 you don't see it at all. That's the only money I get to keep. How could he say that? Well, the answer is because for him, the Lord's cow never died. So now, as we go to prayer, I want you to pray into this and talk about who you need to talk to in the days ahead. But I want you to ask God to break the power of the spirit of mammon over the nations, over the church and over us. We've got authority to do that. And it comes when we say, Lord, you are Lord. You are the boss. You're the master. And I just want to do what you want. It's that simple. But the way that we always break the power of any spirit is we act in the opposite spirit. So what can we do to break the power of mammon in our lives in these next days, a few days ahead of us, to live differently, live generously and to give to break the power that tells us all, all the time at the moment, hold on tight, hunker down, look after yourself. How can we live with open hands so that the Lord can pour more through us in these last days that we live in for his kingdom, for his glory? Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.